Section 30 of the History of Chemistry. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Karen Turton. The History of Chemistry by Thomas Thompson. Volume 1, Chapter 8 of the Attempts to Establish a Theory in Chemistry, Part 5. The moral qualities of M. Rumer seem not to have been inferior to the extent and variety of his acquirements. He was kind and benevolent and remarkably disinterested. He performed the duties of Intendant of the Order of St. Louis from the year 1735 till his death, without accepting any of the emoluments of the office, all of which were most religiously given to the person to whom they belonged, had she been capable of performing the duties of the place. M. Rumer died on the 17th of October, 1756, after having lived nearly seventy-five years. John Hellet was born in Paris in the year 1685, on the 20th of November. His father, Michael Hellet, was of a respectable family, and the early part of his son's education was at home. It seems to have been excellent, as young Hellet acquired the difficult art of writing on all manner of subjects in a precise, clear, and elegant style. His father intended him for the church, but his own taste led him decidedly to the study of chemistry. He had an uncle, a physician, some of whose papers on chemical subjects fell into his hands. This circumstance kindled his natural taste into a flame. He formed an acquaintance with M. Geoffroy, whose reputation as a chemist was at that time high, and this friendship was afterwards cemented by Geoffroy marrying the niece of M. Hellet. His circumstances being easy, he went over to England to form a personal acquaintance with the many eminent philosophers who at that time adorned that country. His fortune was considerably deranged by Law's celebrated scheme during the regency of the Duke of Orleans. This obliged him to look out for some resource. He became editor of the Gazette de France, and continued in this employment from 1718 to 1732. During these fourteen years, however, he did not neglect chemistry, though his progress was not so rapid as it would have been, could he have devoted to that science his undivided attention. In 1732 he was put forward by his friends as a candidate for a place in the Academy of Sciences, and in the year 1735 he was chosen adjunct chemist, vacant by the promotion of M. de la Condamine to the place of associate. Three years after he was declared supernumerary pensioner without passing through the step of associate. His reputation as a chemist was already considerable, and after he became a member of the academy he devoted himself to the investigations connected with his favorite science his first labors were on zinc in two successive papers he endeavored to decompose this metal and to ascertain the nature of its constituents though his labor was unsuccessful yet he pointed out many new properties of this metal and various new compounds into which it enters neither was he more successful in his attempt to account for the origin of the red vapors which are exhaled from nitre in certain circumstances he ascribed them to the presence of ferruginous matters in the nitre, whereas they are owing to the expulsion and partial decomposition of the nitric acid of the nitre in consequence of the action of some more powerful acid. His paper on sympathetic ink is of more importance. A German chemist had shown him a saline solution of a red colour which became blue when heated. This led him to form a sympathetic ink which was pale red while the paper was moist became blue upon drying it by holding it to the fire. The sympathetic ink was a solution of cobalt and muriatic acid, 
it does not appear from hellet's paper that he was exactly aware of the chemical constitution of the liquid which constituted his sympathetic ink though it is clear he knew that cobalt constitutes an essential part of it kunkel's phosphorus though it had been originally discovered in germany could not be prepared by any of the processes which had been given to the public boyle had taught his operator godfrey hankwitz the method of making it this man had after boyle's death opened a chemist's shop in london and it was he that supplied all europe with this curious article on that account it was usually distinguished by the name of english phosphorus but in the year seventeen thirty seven a stranger appeared in paris who offered for a stipulated reward to communicate the method of manufacturing the substance to the academy of sciences the offer was accepted by the french government and a committee of the academy at the head of which was hellet was appointed to witness the process and ascertain all its steps the process was repeated with success and hellet drew up a minute detail of the whole which was inserted in the memoirs of the academy for the year seventeen thirty seven the publication of this paper constitutes an era in the preparation of phosphorus it was henceforward in the power of every chemist to prepare it for himself a few years after the process was much improved by margraf and within little more than twenty years after the very convenient process still in use was suggested by scheele hellet's experiments on the comparative merits of the salts of payrac and of pacase were of importance because they decided a dispute they may also perhaps be considered as curiosities in an historical point of view because we see from them the methods which hellet had recourse to at the early period in order to determine the purity of common salt they are not entitled however to a more particular notice here in the year seventeen forty m hellet was charged with the general inspection of dyeing a situation which m dufoy had held till the time of his death in seventeen thirty nine it was this appointment doubtless which turned his attention to the theory of dyeing which he tried to explain in two memoirs read to the academy in seventeen forty and seventeen forty one the subject was afterwards prosecuted by him in subsequent memoirs which were published by the academy in seventeen forty five he was named to go to lyons in order to examine with care the processes followed for refining gold and silver before his return he took care to give to these processes the requisite precision and exactness immediately after his return to paris he was appointed to examine the different mines and assay the different ores in france this appointment led him to turn his thoughts to the subject the result of this was the publication of an excellent work on assaying and metallurgy entitled de la fonte des mines des fonderies etc traduit de l'allemand de christophe andre schluter the first volume of this book appeared in seventeen fifty and the second in seventeen fifty three though this book is called by hellet a translation it contains in fact a great deal of original matter the arrangement is quite altered many processes not noticed by schluter are given and many essential articles are introduced which had been totally omitted in the original work he begins with an introduction in which he gives a short sketch of all the mines existing in every part of france together with some notice of the present state of each the first volume treats entirely of dosimassi or the art of assaying the different metallic ores though this art has been much improved since hellet's time yet the processes given in the volume are not without their value the second volume treats of the various metallurgic processes followed in order to extract metals from their ores this volume is furnished with no fewer than fifty-five plates in which all the various furnaces etc used in these processes are exhibited to the eye 
while occupied in preparing this work for the press he was chosen to endeavour to bring the porcelain manufactory at sevres to a greater state of perfection than it had yet reached in this he was successful he even discovered various new colours proper for painting upon porcelain which contributed to give to this manufactory the celebrity which it acquired in the year seventeen sixty three phenomenon at that time quite new to france took place in the coal mine of briançon a quantity of carburetted hydrogen gas had collected in the bottom of the mine and being kindled by the lights employed by the miners it exploded with great violence and killed or wounded every person in the mine this destructive gas distinguished in this country by the name of fire-damp had long been known in great britain and in the low countries though it had not before been known in france the duc de choiseul informed of this event had recourse to the academy for assistance who appointed messrs de montigny duhamel and hellet a committee to endeavour to discover the remedies proper to prevent any such accident from happening for the future the report of these gentlemen was published in the memoirs of the academy they give an account both of the fire-damp and choke-damp or carbonic acid gas which sometimes also makes its appearance in coal-mines they very justly observe that the proper way to obviate the inconveniency of these gases is to ventilate the mine properly and they give various methods by which this ventilation may be promoted by means of fires lighted at the bottom of the shaft etc in seventeen sixty three m hellet was appointed conjointly with m tillet to examine the process followed for assaying gold and silver they showed that the cupels always retained a small portion of the silver assayed and that this loss ascribed to the presence of a foreign metal made the purity of the silver be always reckoned under the truth which occasioned a loss to the proprietor his health continued tolerably good till he reached his eightieth year he was then struck with palsy but partially recovered from the first attack but a second attack on the thirteenth of february seventeen sixty five refused to yield to every medical treatment and he died on the fifteenth of that month at an age a little beyond eighty henry louis duhamel de monceau was born at paris in the year seventeen hundred he was descended from loth duhamel a dutch gentleman who came to france in the suite of the infamous duke of burgundy about the year fourteen hundred young duhamel was educated in the college of harcourt but the course of study did not suit his taste he left it with only one fact engraven on his memory that men by observing nature had created a science called physics and he resolved to profit by his freedom from restraint and turn the whole of his attention to that subject he lodged near the jardin du roy where alone at that time physics were attended to in paris dufoy geoffroy lemery jussieu and veillon were the friends with whom he associated on coming to paris his industry was stimulated solely by a love of study and by the pleasure which he derived from the increase of knowledge love of fame does not appear to have entered into his account in the year seventeen eighteen saffron which is much cultivated in that part of france formerly distinguished by the name of gatinois where duhamel's property lay was attacked by a malady which appeared contagious healthy bulbs when placed in the neighbourhood of those that were diseased soon became affected with the same malady government consulted the academy on the subject and this learned body thought they could not do better than request m duhamel to investigate the cause of the disease though he was only eighteen years of age and not even a member of the academy he ascertained that the malady was owing to a parasitical plant which attached itself to the bulb of the saffron and drew nourishment from it 
This plant extended under the earth from one bulb to another, and thus infected the whole saffron plantations. M. Duhamel formed the resolution, at the commencement of his scientific career, to devote himself to public utility, and to prosecute those subjects which were likely to contribute most effectually to the comfort of the lower ranks of men. Much of his time was spent in endeavouring to promote the culture of vegetables, and in rendering that culture more useful to society. This naturally led to a careful study of the physiology of trees. The fruit of this study he gave to the world in the year 1758, when his Musique de was published. This constitutes one of the most important works on the subject which has ever appeared. It contains a great number of new and original facts, and contributed very much indeed to advance this difficult but most important branch of science. Nor is it less remarkable for modesty than for value. The facts gathered from other sources, even those which make against his own opinions, are most carefully and accurately stated. The experiments that preceded his are repeated and verified with much care, and the reader is left to discover the new facts and new views of the author without any attempt on his part to claim them as his own. M. Duhamel had been attached to the Department of the Marine by M. de Maurepas, who had given him the title of Inspector General. This led him to turn his attention to naval science in general. The construction of vessels, the weaving of sailcloths, the construction of ropes and cables, the method of preserving the wood, occupied his attention successively, and gave birth to several treatises, which, like all his works, contain immense collections of facts and experiments. He endeavours always to discover which is the best practice, to reduce it to fixed rules, and to support it by philosophical principles, but abstains from all theory when it can be supported only by hypothesis. From the year 1740, when he became an academician, till his death in 1781, he made a regular set of meteorological observations at Pithiviers, with details relative to the direction of the needle, to agriculture, to the medical constitution of the year, and to the time of nest-building and of the passage of birds. Above sixty memoirs of his were published in the transactions of the French Academy of Sciences. They are still multifarious in their nature, and embrace such a variety of subjects that I shall not attempt even to give their titles, but satisfy myself with stating such only as bear more immediately upon the science of chemistry. It will be proper in conducting this review to notice the result of his labours connected with the ossification of bones, because, though not strictly chemical, they throw light upon some branches of the animal economy, more closely connected with chemistry than with any other of the sciences. He examined in the first place whether the ossification of bones and their formation and reparation did not follow the same law that he had assigned to the increments of trees, and he established by a set of experiments that bones increase by the ossification of layers, the periosteum, as trees do by the hardening of their cortical layers. Bones in a soft state increase in every direction like the young branches of plants, but after their induration they increase only like trees by successive additions of successive layers. This organization was incompatible with the opinion of those who thought the bones increased by the addition of an earthy matter deposited in the meshes of the organized network which forms the texture of bones. M. Duhamel combated this opinion by an ingenious experiment. He had been informed by Sir Hans Sloane that the bones of the young animals fed upon matter were tinged red. He conceived the plan of feeding them alternately with food mingled with matter and with ordinary food. The bones of animals thus treated were found to present alternate concentric layers of red and white, 
corresponding to the different periods in which the animal had been fed with food containing or not containing matter. When these bones are sawn longitudinally, we see the thickness of the coloured layers greater or less according to the number of plates of the periosteum which have ossified. As for the portions still soft or susceptible of extending themselves in every direction, such as the plates in the neighbourhood of the marrow, the reservoir of which increases during a part of the time that the animal continues to grow, the red colour marks equally the progress of their ossification by coloured points more or less extended. This opinion was attacked by Haller and defended by M. Vaugeru, a nephew of M. Duhamel, but it is not our business here to inquire how far correct. One of the most important of M. Duhamel's papers, which will secure his name a proud station in the annals of chemistry, is that which was inserted in the memoirs of the Academy for 1737, in which he shows that the base of common salt is a true fixed alkali, different in some respects from the alkali extracted from land plants, and known by the name of potash, but similar to that obtained by the incineration of marine plants. We are surprised that a fact so simple and elementary was disputed by the French chemists, and rather indicated than proved by Stahl and his followers. The conclusions of Duhamel were disputed by Pott, but finally confirmed by Margraaf. M. Duhamel carried his researches further. He wished to know if the difference between potash and soda depends on the plants that produce them, or on the nature of the soil in which they grow. He sowed Calai at Denain-Villiers and continued his experiments during a great number of years. M. Cadet, at his request, examined the salts contained in the ashes of Calai of Denain-Villiers. He found that during the first year, soda predominated in these ashes. During the successive years, the potash increased rapidly, and at last the soda almost entirely disappeared. It was obvious from this that the alkalis in plants are drawn at least chiefly from the soil on which they vegetate. The memoirs of M. Duhamel on ether, at that time almost unknown, on soluble tartars and on lime, contain many facts both curious and accurately stated, though our present knowledge of these bodies is so much greater than his. The new facts ascertained respecting them are so numerous and important, that the contributions of this early experimenter, which probably had a considerable share in the success of subsequent investigations, are now almost forgotten nor would many readers bear patiently with an attempt to enumerate them. There is a curious paper of his in the memoirs of the Academy for 1757. In this he gives the details of a spontaneous combustion of large pieces of cloth soaked in oil and strongly pressed. Cloth thus prepared had often produced similar accidents. Those who were fortunate enough to prevent them took care to conceal the facts, partly from ignorance of the real cause of the combustion and partly from a fear that if they were to state what they saw, his testimony would not gain credit. If the combustion had not been prevented, then the public voice would have charged those who had the care of the class with culpable negligence, or even with criminal conduct. The observation of M. Duhamel, therefore, was useful in order to prevent such unjust suspicions from hindering those concerned from taking the requisite precautions. Yet, twenty years after the publication of his paper, two accidental spontaneous combustions in Russia were ascribed to treason. The Empress Catherine II alone suspected that the combustion was spontaneous, and experiments made by her orders fully confirmed the evidence previously advanced by the French philosopher. End of section 30